what pilots need to know about potential long-term effects from COVID-19. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news and information. Even as we continue to move back toward normal from the COVID-19 pandemic, it's clear the coronavirus will continue to be part of our lives for some time to come. And while for many, the danger of coming down with COVID-19 is less severe today, the threat hasn't completely gone away, and some who were infected by COVID-19 have found their symptoms have continued or even worsened even well after testing negative for the virus. The medical community is still learning about what long COVID can do to the body. And for perspective on those effects to pilots, I'm joined today by three respected members of the aeromedical community. We'll begin with Dr. Greg Vanichkachorn, or Dr. Van, a senior aviation medical examiner at Mayo Clinic and the medical director for Mayo's COVID Activity Rehabilitation Program. Dr. Van, what symptoms might indicate to pilots in particular that they may be experiencing long COVID? You know, the symptom that we see most frequently with this long COVID condition is fatigue. And it's a quite profound and unique fatigue. You know, everybody has gone through a couple of nights of bad sleep or remember how we felt after having a bad cold or something like influenza. But this is different. For example, many patients, they'll say something like, you know, I went to take out my trash and then I needed to take a, a nap for two hours afterwards. Or I went for a short walk with my dog and I had worsened symptoms for, for several days even afterwards. So the fatigue, and that's pretty much the hallmark feature that we see with this condition. But that being said, there's a lot of other symptoms that we know about that come with this. Things like coughing or shortness of breath. Uh, there can be tremors and headaches, ringing in the ears. And a lot of people have also reported troubles with their abilities to think clearly. So, for example, people will say that they have troubles with short-term memory or uh, word finding during speech or multitasking. And this has been commonly referred to as a brain fog in the medium. And about half the patients that we've seen here uh, have been experiencing that. Those are the most common things that we see, but again, it just seems like every day we're learning more and more about this still new condition, and we are seeing more symptoms that could be potentially related to long COVID. Also joining me is Dr. Quay Snyder, President of Aviation Medicine Advisory Service and the Aeromedical Advisor for the Airline Pilots Association International. Have you seen pilots coming to AMAS with long COVID symptoms, Dr. Snyder? Yes, we have, but it's been a relatively small minority of the total pilots. The pilots contacting our office are primarily those with concerns about their medical certification and the implications of their continuing symptoms. So surveying our 10 doctors, we really only have about 15 cases that we've been contacted about with the majority of them complaining of the uh, brain fog that Dr. Van talked about, that the confusion, the memory problems, the difficulties with multitasking and concerns about the aviation safety aspects of that. The second most common complaint uh, we get is the fatigue. Again, uh, described by Dr. Van very well, uh, fatigue that's uh, disproportionate to the amount of activity they have and uh, a spectrum of other conditions uh, that they might have, the cough that was mentioned. But again, 
in most cases, the pilots contact in our office are concerned about the medical certification and aviation safety implications. So we may be seeing a skewed population compared to what the general population would be experiencing. My third guest is Dr. Clayton Cole, a senior FAA medical examiner and a member of the Mayo Clinic staff. Dr. Cole, are the risk factors for long COVID similar to the risk factors we've heard about regarding the severity of the initial COVID-19 infection? Well, one of the interesting things that we've noted in not so much just the pilots, but the whole general population of those with post-COVID syndrome is that you know, oftentimes we initially thought that this would be a population much like uh, fibromyalgia. And in fact, what we found is that it is quite unlike that in that it's a much younger population. Um, So we see individuals, not just aviators, but from all walks of life that have been very active, who have exercised regularly, participated in marathons, and they've not had any other medical illnesses or injuries of, of note that cause functional limitation. These folks tend to be the ones that we see that have been more likely to get long haul COVID. And again, as uh, Dr. Snyder has alluded to, fortunately, within the populations that we see, in particular uh, pilots, it's been relatively low prevalence overall. Now, that could be a little bit of self-selection process. In other words, uh, a pilot may not come for a flight physical, for example, if they're still suffering from these symptoms and or they may not call for aeromedical advice until they feel like they've at least achieved some sort of recovery. So again, it's more a younger population and a population that seems to have some sort of either immunocompromise or some effect where there could be some immunosuppression at at some point in their life. But given the kinds of symptoms we've noted, like brain fog or chronic fatigue, those are conditions that any pilot shouldn't try to ignore. No, absolutely. And we get a ton of questions about what needs to be reported or what happens if I get a vaccine. And and we'd be happy uh, to share that information. In fact, I did have a conversation with Jim Duvall, who is in the medical specialties division at the FAA in Washington, just to make sure that there weren't any any new things that have come out subsequent to last week. And uh, because it's changing, as you've already alluded to so, so quickly. And in fact, they would like to be able to have the AMEs document these cases. And in fact, what the FAA is concerned about is pilots who have required ICU care with or without a ventilator And in fact, those that do have long haul COVID. And in fact, if someone right now is applying for a medical and have symptoms consistent with post-COVID syndrome, as we call it, they actually ask within the aviation medical examiner's guidelines to defer those cases for further assessment. More of this discussion in just a moment. But first, a message from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit nbaa.org to apply today. We're back now with Drs. Clayton Cole, Quay Snyder, and Greg Vinichkachorn, and our discussion about the implications from long COVID symptoms to pilots. 
Dr. Van, let's focus back for a minute on the kinds of symptoms that many long COVID patients experience. Are pilots coming to you because they have a chronic cough, for example, or are their maladies more serious? Symptom that we see most frequently uh, in our specific population here is the fatigue. But I would say right behind that um, come the respiratory complaints, uh, the neurological complaints, and then the brain fog, all about 50% of our patients. Now, we don't see a lot of cases of like, for example, heart complications or lung scarring or blood clots. And those are things that are often mentioned in research studies in the media as some of the long-term effects from this. But that's a minority. It's more the, the those other symptoms that we see on a day-to-day basis. And that seems particularly interesting given that this is a respiratory virus, but it's hitting other areas of the body outside the respiratory system. Absolutely. You know, the more that I work with this condition, the more that it seems that it's way more than just a respiratory virus. For example, we see a lot of neurological complaints as well as neurological conditions like autonomic dysfunction and headaches in our patients. So it's just been amazing to see how widespread the effects of this virus can be. Dr. Snyder, in your experience, can a patient develop long COVID symptoms, even if they may have been asymptomatic from the initial infection? That's not something that we've seen with pilots uh, contact in our office. However, from reading the literature, I believe that people with very minimal symptoms of their initial COVID infection um, may later present with long COVID symptoms that are more substantial uh, than what they initially experienced. But I would defer to the experts from the Mayo Clinic uh, for a more definitive answer on that. Dr. Van? Yeah, no, absolutely. When we, we first started working with this patient population, we sort of assumed that it was going to be the individuals that, that had a very severe acute infection that would come down with long COVID. And that's partially true. Uh, if you do have a very severe infection, like you're in the ICU and then you get long COVID, your symptoms tend to be more severe. But that type of scenario, that type of patient, is actually quite a rarity in our clinic. Over 75% of the patients that we have seen here in our clinic had very mild acute infections. You know, they didn't have to go to the hospital or even visit with their primary care provider. They just were able to manage their symptoms at home. And some were virtually asymptomatic. So certainly you can have a very mild infection early on and then have worsened symptoms as part of the long-haul COVID state. Your thoughts, Dr. Cole? It's interesting that the, those that have mild symptoms, the good news is, is that those individuals do tend to get progressively better over time. And even those with long haul COVID do tend to get better over time. It's just a matter of what type of time frame you're talking about. And there is no sort of one size fits all for this um, because some individuals can have additional complications that have to be taken into account. For example, uh, we see patients that have thromboembolic disease, meaning like a blood clot to the lung, because the blood tends to be a little more hypercoagulable in those that have contracted COVID-19. Most of those people, even who have a relatively long range of recovery over, say, weeks to months, all seem to be getting gradually better over time, given the ability to get the right kind of care. And when I say right kind of care, having individuals that listen to them, that make recommendations for appropriate diagnostics as needed and not just do everything for everyone, 
And finally, things like physical and occupational therapy that have we found that have really helped people empower them to sort of take control over their symptoms and move them towards uh, recovery and health. Sometimes that can take months, but in general, most of the people that we encounter are all getting better over time. Dr. Cole, at what point do pilots need to advise the FAA or their AME that they're experiencing long COVID symptoms, and what response can they expect? The good news for aviators is that the vast, vast majority of cases are simply something that the AME can report and move on with issuing the certificate. So if we were to lump them into different buckets, if someone has asymptomatic or say mild infection, the aviation medical examiner is advised to issue and just document asymptomatic or mild outpatient COVID infection with full recovery. And that's it. If you have someone that had maybe had a prolonged outpatient course, maybe over a couple weeks or more, um, and they're fully recovered and don't have symptoms, again, the AME can issue and they would just need to note in their narrative, uh, prolonged outpatient COVID-19 infection with full recovery. And again, a certificate can be issued. And finally, you know, there's the pilots that have been hospitalized but have not been in the ICU that are fully recovered and don't have residual symptoms or current problems. And in that case, again, the AME can issue and we just have to, as AMEs, document that, you know, that there was inpatient treatment for COVID-19 infection and that there's been a full recovery. The only situations in which we're asked to defer the case is if there was hospitalization with ICU care, and that would be either someone that was on a ventilator or not on a ventilator, or if an airman has uh, prolonged symptoms, like we're talking about with post-COVID syndrome, they do want the AMEs to defer those and provide all of the supporting data, such as you know evaluations with a neurologist, a pulmonologist, a cardiologist, depending on what that individual situation uh, involves. And part of the reason for this is epidemiologically, the FAA wants to be able to document how many pilots have actually been involved with COVID without trying to hold things up unnecessarily. Um, I have had a pilot with COVID that we've had to defer, but what I've ended up doing is rather than just deferring and letting it sit in the queue, we've actually called the physician examiner at the FAA and were able to get a, a, a verbal approval to go ahead and issue. One of the other things I'll just mention, many of our uh, pilots that we see develop anosmia or lack of smell. And the FAA uh, cares about that because of the inability, especially before it improves, to detect, for example, smoke in the cabin or certain odors in the cabin that could be a safety-related issue. So they're asking the AMEs to document that as well. What kind of treatment options are available to help combat long COVID symptoms, Dr. Van? No, that's a, that's a great question. And the fortunate answer is that much of the crucial treatment can be actually done at home by patients before they actually get to, let's say, a, a long-haul COVID clinic at a large academic medical center. When people have COVID, uh, they are really sick of being sick. And so after their isolation period ends, we tend to see that patients really just want to bounce back to their normal life as quickly as possible. And so they, they try to do their normal things, whether it be their full-time job or, or exercising intensively and things like that. And this is often possible for a very short amount of time because let's face it, they've been resting for about 10 days. 
But because of the nature of long-haul COVID, that can often cause a worsening of symptoms again for several days. And so patients, they often get themselves stuck in this sort of vicious cycle when they're pushing themselves too hard, trying to push themselves to recover more quickly. And they kind of go back and forth from doing something, having a flare of their symptoms, resting, that's more deconditioning, and then trying again and again and so forth. So one of the early things that we tell patients is that they really need to give themselves more time to recover. And that's really important to do from the very beginning. We are often right now seeing patients who don't have the quote unquote normal recovery, like say within two weeks, but a slightly more prolonged one, about four to six weeks. And we find that if we can get patients giving themselves proper pacing, you know, prioritizing what's really important in their day and mentally letting themselves recover and not pushing themselves too hard, they can really help prevent the onset of long haul COVID just by following that in those early weeks. We also have patients focus in on things like, you know, making sure their sleep is optimal, that we have patients um, eating and drinking well, because sometimes they can forget about that, especially if they have altered taste and smell. So those steps, those are all things that can be done um, by patients themselves without any additional input at home. And I think it's really crucial for that to happen in order for patients and pilots who may be experiencing symptoms to get better faster, which is becoming one of these really long haul cases. Dr. Snyder, has that been your experience as well with pilots who've come to AMAS with long COVID symptoms? Uh, absolutely. And Dr. Van gave outstanding advice there. And uh, the pilots that contact us are following that sort of advice and improving. Um, but one thing I'd like to comment that may be reassuring is talking about the prevalence of long COVID compared to just acquiring COVID. There was a recent study in the Journal of Infectious Disease that came out of meta-analysis of worldwide cases of COVID. And in general, uh, only about a half a percent to a third of percent of people who acquired COVID developed long COVID symptoms. And of those, uh, North America actually had a lower percentage than the rest of the world at about a third of the percent. And as uh, Dr. Van talked about earlier, the most prevalent long COVID symptom was fatigue followed by memory problems. But when you're looking at memory problems worldwide, that's close to one-tenth of one percent. So for all of those people who have acquired uh, COVID, and there is quite a large number of those, uh, realize the chances of having the long COVID symptoms are relatively small or very small. Uh, of course, any individual who gets it, it's very significant for them, and they need to follow the advice that uh, we've heard today. Dr. Cole, what else do pilots need to know about long COVID and our particular environment right now? From the FAA perspective at this point, it's important for pilots to know as they obtain either their, their first vaccination or get boosted, be it either with the Pfizer or BioNTech or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson vaccines, that the FAA actually requires that they stand down for 48 hours from actually serving as pilot in command of an aircraft. They are still able to participate in things like simulator training and non-safety sensitive activities 
And they also had an advisory out that you could still go and deadhead somewhere if you needed to start a flight and had received the vaccine within that 48-hour window before. But fortunately, we haven't heard a lot of you know serious complications from vaccines. There's a lot of anecdotal stories that are out there, but at least within our pilot populations that that we've evaluated or and or heard about, we haven't had a lot of untoward events that have resulted in significant injury or illness to those uh, particular patients. You know, there's a lot of doom and gloom when people hear about long COVID out there, but I think it's important for people to realize, uh, as we said earlier, people are still getting better slowly over the long term. And on top of that, we're only at the very beginning of starting to scratch the surface of this condition. Most of the research out there has really just been trying to define what this is. We haven't really started any clinical trials for this yet or figured out what are some of the best ways to like, well, determine what brain fog is and such. So over this next year, as that kind of research comes out, I think that there are a lot of opportunities for new treatments that will get patients feeling better much faster, if not fully cured. So I tell people to get ready for the long haul if they do have long haul COVID, but to continue having faith as well too, things may be a lot better down the road. That's very encouraging to hear, Dr. Van. Dr. Snyder, what is your advice for pilots as we're seeing restrictions finally easing, but with COVID-19 still a concern around the globe? Well, I think it depends on the individual risk tolerance. But from a personal perspective, because I travel over 100 times a year, I have immunized and boosted myself and I'm eligible for a second booster. I do wear a mask when I'm in a public environment. And I practice reasonable hygiene as far as hand washing. If I'm with large groups of people, I try to either engage with them outside or inside, I may wear a mask while it's appropriate. So I think all of the recommendations that we've had since the beginning of this still are relevant if your risk tolerance is that you don't want to get COVID or a second infection of COVID. And if your risk tolerance is less than that, then you can scale those back. Uh, I know Dr. Fauci initially said we're moving from a pandemic to an endemic phase. Uh, Maybe, in my opinion, that might be a little premature. Uh, We'll see if there's another variant coming out. Or uh, there was news recently of a new type of avian flu coming out, too, that was infecting individuals. So my caution is not to let your guard down. Just be prudent, uh, be reasonable, understand what your risk tolerance is and uh, what steps you can do to minimize your risk. That's great advice. And I thank you, Dr. Snyder, Dr. Cole, and Dr. Vinichkachorn for taking the time to help inform our listeners about the lingering effects from COVID and for the latest developments in what is still a dynamic and rapidly evolving situation around the world. Be sure to check out nbaa.org coronavirus. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.